0: Oh, hi, and welcome to the Business Growth Mindset Top Achievers podcast. I uh, cannot tell you how privileged I feel that you are here today. And uh, as we were just saying off air, it's the first time I've ever seen you in a t-shirt and cap, and it really personifies the, um, I guess, the culture at your new role. I mean, even though you were chairman before, now CEO, I'm going to let you talk about it a little bit rather than Mm. me kind of, steal your thunder, uh, but a small caveat um, for our listeners, uh, we are friends, uh, and uh, I've had the privilege of uh, calling you a mentor in, in certain areas, particularly after a couple of glasses of wine and and <laughs> and, and, and shooting and shooting away at, at, at things that I could improve on in my life, and, and I'm very grateful for that. So, um, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, and I guess this incredible journey that you've had over the last... Thirty years.
1: Mm. Um, so I'm the I'm currently the CEO of Vino which is an online wine retailer. Uh, we'd be the third or fourth biggest in Australia doing that. Um, I've been around Vino since with uh, Andre and Justin, sort of helping them before it was born. I, I'd had that combi van. Parked on my front lawn while uh, Andre played cards <laughs> till the wee small hours of the of the night, um, and so it was it was not as surprising to me or my family that I joined Vino Mofo as it was to people going. I thought you were the SYC guy because I'd been the, the SYC guy for twenty years. That's right, um, and. I didn't want to be the SYC guy at the end of my career as far as um, that's all that I got remembered for, though I would be proud to be remembered for that. Like I did a pretty good job and SYC is <laughs> an a pretty, job. <laughs> um, pretty great organisation doing great do, things. Do you want to
0: share a little bit about SYC? Sure. Like what do you do? And I think there's a beautiful story and also maybe just explain to our listeners where SYC was when you started there and sure. what it is today sure and also the way that you've handed over a legacy to another really smart person in the process
1: well i got um i when i left school i thought i wanted to be a journalist and um i got into journalism switched to communications um after a year of that um but then just got into business like i started my first business taking photographs of cars because i'm into cars and um, I worked in a photo shop and the photos were pretty crummy that the people were bringing in. So I said I could do them better. Um, and went, oh man, this is like, if you offer value, you get paid. Um, and so I sort of got into my own, uh, my own businesses of different sorts or uh, pursued photography in different ways. Uh, and that took me to Sydney and I, I got into um, uh, business with some people selling water filters and that was pretty successful. And I came back to South Australia, did some consulting um, and then had sort of a life-changing moment, but it led me to join SYC for a year. So SYC back then stood for Service to Youth Council Incorporated. It was a small registered charity in South Australia that worked with um, young people who had fallen into homelessness. And it was started in 1958, so it was 2002 that I joined. And one of the things that um, I'd never worked in not-for-profit before, never thought that I would work in not-for-profit, and I thought I would only do it for a year. Uh, So 18 and a half years later, I was still there. Um, But when I joined, one of the things that um, SYC had um, really done was champion youth homelessness and you know people used to call them street kids and truants and all that sort of stuff but SYC really championed a a more respectful approach to what was happening for young people and it was something that deeply affected me around going yeah you know we we just treat young people in Australia so poorly we think we don't but Mm -hmm. we do um but anyway, that, that really struck me. But what also really struck me was it was an organisation in the not-for-profit sector had this kind of thing where there was some worthiness around going earnestly broke, <laughs> which I just, couldn't, yeah. just couldn't, I just couldn't get it. Mm. Um, so back, it, was, it wasn't very fashionable in 2002 and 2003 to uh, start thinking in terms of business approaches for not-for-profit work. But in my mind, I was like, if you're not building wealth in the organization, how are you going to deploy wealth to give people with disadvantage the best opportunities? So I went about um, building an organization that could hire the smartest people you could get, um, that could do the best work possible, that could join up as many services as possible So, you know, in business terms, it'd be like, oh, you did lots of vertical integration and all that. So, you know, if you put a person genuinely at the centre of your work and you serve them really well with a really strong service mentality, you end up providing lots of services to them and it becomes a seamless experience that if you do it really well, makes them prosperous or happy or healthy or all of those different things. If you want to call that vertical integration as something fancy, knock yourself out. But really great service anyway SYC grew to it had members value of $429,000 uh, it was about to run a deficit of nearly 600000 when I took it over which is um, it had regularly done it had regularly survived doing that sort of thing um, but when I left um, it's got a balance sheet now you can look it up on the ACNC so it's not confidential information but it's got a balance sheet of $30 million it's got more than 40 different properties and all sorts of different things so uh, it's been by lots of measures um, a pretty successful organisation. If it was possible I would have loved to have owned shares in (laughs) (laughs) SYC with its success but it was something that you know um, I'm immensely proud of um, the work that the organisation does and that I did with that organisation. It taught me a lot about um, I took lots of risks there that were um, not risks as in um, they weren't risks to our social license to operate so they weren't sort of dodgy loose risks but they were things that people said you're not supposed to do things that way and it's like well, I don't see why not so we did it and it was successful and now other people copy it um, which is cool um, and it then led me to it was interesting, I didn't, I kept saying, I don't want to be the CEO of a not-for-profit. And then somebody really smart said, well, why don't you just be a good CEO then and stop qualifying it by the place that you do it. And I thought, like, that's actually really cool. So I just really tried to be the best at that, that I could. Um, and that led lots of people to asking me how you do CEOing things or leadership things. Um, and I was a bit, you know what, I was often, I know it sounds a bit, it sounds a bit meh, um, but I was always surprised. Like people would say, oh, how did you do that? Or how do you do leadership this way? Or how do you, like, doesn't everybody know how to, like you just, <laughs> you just do it, no. right? You just get on no. with it.
0: <laughs> people don't know how to do it. Yeah. Can I, can I just interject? Uh, I think one thing that I've always admired about you is your incredible humility, right? You, you're an ad, you, you love learning. You invest a lot in your own professional development, yep. um, a common trait in top achievers. Um, you know, top achievers don't even like the term top achievers, but one of the things, you know, one of the most incredible recognitions that you received um, was uh, the champion, EY Champion Entrepreneur of the Year, um, an incredibly uh, prestigious award, but one you actually deserved. No, not just as your friend, I think there is an entire business ecosystem that would absolutely say that you earned that. Um, but I know that you attribute all that success, not to yourself, but to your entire team. You yeah. are a builder of people, Paul. Mm. I've never seen, like, You know, when I read Good to Great by Jim Collins, I think Paul Edgington. Oh, that's right? very I, And I do, I get goosebumps while I'm talking to you. Yeah. Because that's one of the, the things that I've always admired about you. Um, is this ability to get <clears throat> your ability to mobilize people, mm-hmm. right? To achieve common outcomes. And that is something that not many people know how to do. And you do that better than other people. And I think that that's something that I just want our listeners to truly understand because, and maybe we can explore that a little bit. But, you know, and I'm assuming you've now gone and, and done that whole process at VinoMofo as well. But it's also you you build legacies that's the other thing I really want you to tap into. I mean you've handed over syC um, obviously I haven't spoken to Mark, so I don't know how they're going, but
1: they're going great on and all
0: accounts, it looks like it's going really well yeah. that you know that is a combination of you finding the right person you were talking about. Finding the best people. You know, Mark yeah. was at Academy Services beforehand. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a CEO there, who'd had or well, GM, who'd had a very successful run turning a company from a small turnover to a large turnover. And you identified that through your friendship and were able to bring him in because you built such a robust, successful business, not a non-for-profit. Let's mm. let's put that aside. That is the, the goal. But your goal was always to help these young people who had somewhere along the line lost hope.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah? And it wasn't just about giving them shelter or giving them some kind of handout. It was rehabilitative services, getting them into housing, getting them to stand on their own two feet again. I remember you telling me a story about the value of a telephone Mm -hmm. to these young people. And it blew me away that the social connection is so important. Even to someone who doesn't have a roof over their head.
1: Yeah, that people would, that young people would, would uh, if they had the choice between buying data and buying food, they would buy data. Mm. Because, yeah. But
0: that's how deep you understood your people. And I guess that's, I, I, I'm trying to just flesh that out because mm. I learned so much from you when you told me those stories. You know, we'd go to lunch or we'd, we'd catch up for a quick coffee and you would share these stories and I'd be like, wow. This guy just knows how to run businesses on a level that other people don't get. So I have to correct you. People don't know how to do those things. Well,
1: they do, but they're just afraid to use it. Mm-hmm. So a word that is in, it makes people feel squirmish in corporate, in leadership, in lots of different circumstances is the word love. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't see it used in lots of corporate books and all of that sort of stuff they talk about. But most people, not everybody unfortunately, but most people know what love feels like and what it looks like and um, at its best what it can do. So when you think about that as a concept and you go, so at its best, love is one of those things that from a, not in an airy fairy, I'm not talking about, You know, singing kumbaya and planting each other's hair, which for you and I is uh, redundant. (laughs) But uh, what I'm thinking—think about it. Think about it at its best. Mm -hmm. It's something that the more you give it away, it it comes back, and you 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 try and like so you're trying to give more away, and it comes back. So you think about if you're trying to build wealth, if you're trying to build success, if you're trying to build legacy, and you create. Deal flow that the more you give away, it embarrassingly comes back, and you're like, dunno, I didn't, I'm not doing it to get it back, but it comes back. And you then energize people around you to work like that. And if you treat people like that, then you find that it just it just happens. But it's not fashionable to refer to it like that. You're supposed to give it more dry clinical sort of things because the downside of doing that is you get disappointed regularly or you get hurt regularly or there's people who can't be uh, they, they can't they just can't handle working like that because it's vulnerable right you you're putting everything into something and not every well people like to hold stuff back and that's fine it's just not that fine working around me because you won't have that much fun if you're holding stuff back because i want you to put everything into it. Because I put everything into it and I put everything into you. However, it's really noticeable, right, because love's really easy to understand, right? The more you give it, it comes back more. So if you're giving a lot of it to somebody, you're putting a lot of energy into the career development and the dreams and aspirations of somebody working for you and it ain't coming back, it's pretty easy to identify. And again, lots of people in leadership positions fail to make the decision to cut that off. So there's three things. Good insight. Yeah, three things in my mind all the time. And that is, if you can do it, do it. And I'll encourage you, Like, do it, knock yourself out. Well, what if I make them, just do it, I could be fine. If you can't do it, but you wanna try, let me know and I'll show you how to do it. And I'll support you to do it, I'll create the environment. Whatever it is, we'll show you how to do it. But if you won't, get lost. Because you can. Cut
0: cut, 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 cut as soon as the fit isn't there.
1: Yeah, because yeah. If, if you can but you won't, that's a decision that you're making to hold back. And you know what? Life's too short for that. Like, go. There's plenty of people who will appreciate you more than I will. So, so to avoid both of us getting hurt, go away. And we'll just work with the ones who can and the ones who want to.
0: How did you find doing that? Well, actually let me ask you let me ask you a slightly different question to that and let's stay focused now that, cuz that, that's brilliant insight 18 and a half years at SYC you would have been able to to do that and educate everybody else to do it walking into a almost new organisation too even though you'd been chair mm. of Vino Mofo, we both know that being a chair and a ceo Way can be different. very different roles like you know, one's about governance and strategy and risk and the other one is about operations and, you know, funding and driving uh, and people. Were you able to bring that same philosophy into vinamofo immediately or has there been a transition or how, how have you done that? Like for someone who's changing careers, mm. how, 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 how did that transition occur? If it has, mm. uh, it's it's start it's
1: it's occurred now. I reckon yep. it feels like I How started. How have you been in, there now? Uh, February as the CEO. Yeah. So it's starting to click now in the last six weeks or so. Uh, but the transition CEOing is CEOing, mm. like it's not different. Um, it's a different context. It's a different domain, but. The thing with at Vino Mofo relative to SYC and be like, well, it's very different. It's like it's not actually because you know what? Yeah, because you know what (sighs) we do? We think about what. So at Vino Mofo, we sell wine.
0: I think you just drank wine all day. That's that's (laughs) a bonus, right? But but we
1: sell wine. It's it's quite obvious. But think about what wine is and. What, why people buy wine, why the people that are mofos buy wine. That, Vino Mofo is not for everybody. So we're not insert retailer here who sells whatever to anybody. We our mofos, we know our customers. We know what they like. We know why they're buying wine. They're interested in wine. But think about the great joys in life that war and peace and all those different things. Think about, for example, food. You don't even have to speak the same language, and but food is a language of love where you sit and and you can share, it. even if you're enemies, you can share a meal and you know um, do all of that sort of stuff. And then think about what is the only beverage that accompanies food? What's with, with wine, right? Well, perhaps in Russia they would drink vodka, God, yeah. uh, but but generally speaking. In, in food is always food is food always and wine. With yep. wine yeah and so the, the the idea of food and wine is inclusive it's about it's about connecting it's about having bringing joy and and it's, and it's inclusive you know you, you 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 invite people to share a glass of wine with you. Um, you you and you share wine if you're a wine lover you share wine experiences you talk about and you don't necessarily think about a glass of wine as like Oh, I loved it because its flavor was X. Mm. You you talk about great wines you've had because you go, I remember this time I was in this place with these people and the sun was shining it was a fabulous day and the food was awesome. And so, you know, that's love, right? That's this inclusive experience. It doesn't care whether you're old, young, male, female, you know, it doesn't successful, doesn't matter. It's about inclusion. So, you think about what I was doing at SYC about creating inclusion for people who are not included and you think about what I do at Venomofo, it's not that different, right? It's a different way of doing it, it's but like, it's the same yeah, thing.
0: Yeah, I love how you put that into context because it's too, even to me, it's, okay, I didn't think of piecing that together. CEOing, absolutely CEOing, doesn't matter where and what. You know, you've, got to, you've got to adapt to the environment. But I never would have thought of SYC and Venomofo being one of the same in terms of that approach. And so that's a really great observation. And I think that, that just opens up my eyes to looking at things even more differently. Um,
1: Can I add to that like, though? Yes. Because this is what I think, This is this is competitive advantage in the future. This is what we should be teaching our kids, right? Is that, when you think about what machine learning can do, what data and analytics uh, and how exciting like that just excites the the, jeez out of me. Um, But the skill, the super skill that we need to teach our kids is humanity. Mm -hmm. Love and humanity combined with machine learning and digital segmentation and personalization. Because digitization and data analysis can only tell you what's happened before. It can't tell you what's gonna happen next. It can predict it based on blah, blah, blah. But you know what, humanity and abstract reasoning that is associated with humanity and love, being mastering that and teaching your kids to master that is competitive advantage in the future. And people at the moment, when you're watching people who are, going, who are at the moment are losing the ability every day to have a sensible discussion, because they're shouting about some conspiracy or they're shouting about some kind of hesitation or uh, uh, scepticism about science or all that sort of stuff and they're shouting about it, you go, you know what's sad about that is you are redundant. Your way of thinking Mm. is redundant. And sadly, that realisation will lead to some kind of catastrophic outcome for either community or for them or whatever it is but that lack of um love and humanity will clash with what machines can do um it's dumb but if you want to so i get excited about thinking about what, what what should we teaching our kids what should what's the skills that will keep you in front
0: and i think abstract reasoning absolutely like disciplined thought really really important mm-hmm. you talked about ai and um and machine learning one thing you did mention was personalization under that humanity mm. i'm assuming at venomofo you use a lot of personalization in your marketing we um, do
1: but i don't think think we're scratching the surface yeah
0: right. so have you found ways to integrate machine learning and ai into is that something that you're working on in the future in terms of what you can do with it yeah 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 uh,
1: that's that's the thing that we'll be looking at so looking at so you get here's a here's a funny thing you hear people talking about data and data analytics and all of that sort of stuff and they're like oh we've got access to all this data and we, you know big data smart data linked data you know and you go oh okay you're teaching everybody to ask questions mm-hmm. like ask good questions because all that data is only as good as the question you ask. And if you ask stupid questions, guess what you get out of data? Nothing. Stupid answers. Yeah. Um, and you can actually paralyze your data system by constantly asking it wrong yeah. questions. So then you Because you, you you're teaching
0: it to not think the way you want it to think.
1: It's not, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not formed based on a hypothesis. It doesn't then have an outcome framework where you're going, I have a hypothesis, I understand inputs, activities, outputs, outcomes because I've decided what impact I'm trying to prove. If you don't have that kind of a framework when you're thinking about, is my question relevant to the data? The other thing is uh, we approach data thinking that as humans, we have got a monopoly on the best ideas, Mm. but machine learning can create different... Um, segments and buckets and, 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 and um, spaces that are way beyond the cognitive load of, of humans, oh, yeah. then it's up to us to be able to go, can I do something unique with it? Um, and that's... that's they're, the, they're the parts that, you know, I think we're not even scratching the surface on how clever that can be and what good customer experience you can create with that.
0: Right, so I was going to ask you, where... Do you see the first wave of application for you at Venmo or in, you know, fast-moving consumer goods? Essentially, like you know, where where do you see the real benefit for you guys? If you can share mm. that, mm. Um,
1: I think I think it, is uh, it in
0: customer experience. I guess that's where I'm going. Yeah,
1: it's definitely in in customer experience, and it's and it's targeting your messaging. So, yeah. um, you know, I'll give you an example where it would be like. Uh, at the moment, with with uh, current generation uh, data, we would go, we would see what you're buying, and we would send you offers. So if you like Pinot and you've been buying Pinot, we'll send you Pinot offers. And all. that. Then if you randomly bought a box of mixed a mixed white box, yeah. At the moment, you'd start getting into your feed some white wine offers. Uh-huh. The utopia, like if I could wave a magic wand, what our machine learning would have gone is, so that's anomalous to what you've been doing
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, and starts to flag it rather than starting to then send you white offers, which you're not going to buy again because you bought them for your mother-in-law.
0: And that might irritate you if you're getting all these offers that are not relevant to you. It irritates you if you're a, you're a
1: red wine drinker and you start getting white offers, you're like, ah, come on.
0: And then potentially you don't you know lose, me. You could lose the customer. That's right. You
1: don't know me. So, so we currently, love A really good example, yeah, yeah. Currently, no, but a really it's good, not good example
0: enough. for someone who doesn't quite understand the power of where machine learning and AI fits in. Yeah. And that's why I was. I'm glad that I because to me that is the customer experience. Um, I know Google's done a lot of work in in customer experience and personalization over the last four or five years, but now with machine learning and AI being far more accessible. To everybody else, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is why I think smaller businesses don't need to go, that's not for me. There is plenty of this coming. You've just got to start reading up on it so you're ready to capitalise. And I think, you know, you guys, and you're not a small business, you're a medium to large enterprise, hopefully scaling to to bigger. I mean, uh, you know, Vino Mofo uh, is not just an Australian vendor anymore. You've got Singapore, Anywhere else at the moment, or it's just Singapore?
1: Uh, we can do. We do pop ups in New Zealand, right. and we're looking at some other countries, okay. but I'm not going to tell you what they are yet. No, I didn't think.
0: I I, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't going to ask specifically, obviously. But um, but the thing is that you are globalizing, and yeah. and so the importance about customer experience is going to um, play a more significant role because now you've got behaviours of different purchases in different countries. Right. So you know, for you, it's it's more important. I love it, Paul. Um. Now we'll dive into the deeper part of the podcast and and, then get a a greater perspective as as to who you are and in terms of what makes you tick. And and I want to go back to your childhood just very quickly. Um, What in your childhood do you think shaped the type of business person, entrepreneur, um, and all around great human that you've become? Was there a particular moment in time in your childhood that made you realize that What impacted you to become who you became?
1: Uh, Yep. There's so there's a very clear moment in my life where I that was that was uh, formed the way that I behave. Um, But preceding that, like I I was very fortunate (coughs) when I when I did when I won the um, the EY award. uh, (laughs) Hugh Remington, I remember, asked me sort of how. what are some of the things that I did to be successful? And I said, well, you know, I was born male, white, Australian, Adelaide, privately educated, nuclear family who loved me on both sides. Uh, So I kind of, my jumping off point was I'd have to work hard to screw up. (laughs) So uh, in relative terms, am I successful or am I just as successful as the next guy but my starting line was way in front Um, so my starting line was way in front and that's Um,
0: and that's wonderful to acknowledge that because we are we're all very lucky
1: yeah Uh, uh, so having started way in front a competitive advantage for me uh, that lots of people lots of my peers who I went to school with and uh, were all my age who are not as successful as I've been. Um, a, didn't recognize that they were in front. And secondly, probably didn't have, find a, a reason to do something different or f- do that. For me, it was, it was very, very clear. Um, it started on February the 2nd, 1979. Uh, and I was 10, 10 years and two months old. Uh, and my youngest brother, arrived um, and um, he wasn't going to be he wasn't going to live a normal life um, we didn't know what that meant at that time um, but what it did mean for me was that mum and dad had to focus on him the, it doesn't, didn't mean they didn't love me or give me all the opportunities and all of the things that they would want to but the attention wasn't on me anymore uh, and there's a part of me that wanted to get the attention, so, um, but getting negative attention when they were already stressed wasn't the way to do it. Um, so I just sort of became really aware that I had to be self-sufficient, and that I had to put myself in a position to provide for my brother one day when my parents wouldn't be around. And I was acutely aware of that, and I remain uh, uh, acutely aware of that. a
0: sense of responsibility
1: it's a sense of that the advantages that you've been given are not for you to exploit for yourself that you uh, uh, you know a life of service to somebody else is you know it brings you lots of stuff but if you're doing it just for you it's not worth it it's not going to make you happy
0: and I love the, the segue into servantship. would you call it then fulfillment? Um, is it this deep, you know, like you know, a lot of people spend their whole life searching for, or, trying to achieve, right? And searching recognition and validation. Yeah. One of the common things that I'm, I'm covering in these interviews with people, but also in my research, is truly successful top achievers and that's why i never called it successful people it's top achievers people mm. that aim for achievement but truly there is something underlining it all that's far greater than achievement seems to be this honorable thing of fulfillment this ability to actually go you know i'm doing something that has true meaning and purpose
1: mm. yeah. um yeah I, I that i would say that that's what i would observe of lots of people as well is that they're not some of the, the top achievers that I've come across that really struck me is you know, people who are at top of their game like superhero people who pour you a glass of water at, they sit down and they pour you a glass of water at the table and you're like do
0: you know I poured you your glass yeah. of water <laughs> but it's that was it's, my waitering it's one of those no, it's, it's one true. of those things it's where you true.
1: notice that there's that they still have a there's a humility there's a sense of there's a sense of service, there's a sense it's, of giving. It's the service,
0: right? Yeah. To me, see, one of the things that always stood out and I think the reason why we became magnetic friends straight away was this magnetism of we care about people. Yeah. Right? Like, deep down, you know, you, you, you're you family first, I'm family first, like, our values drive us, right? Mm. But, it's, every conversation you and I have ever had privately, there is this great sense of what can we do for others? You know, like, that's one of the greatest gifts that I learned from you, you know, when uh, when you gave me a three-step process to follow. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> um, we won't recite it today. Mm. We'll keep that one up our sleeve. But, you know, it was one of the things that then you brought into ThinkLab when, yep. when you came in as one of the mentors in, 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 in the program. And, you know, it's it's this ability to be able to just go, you know what, I'm not here to serve myself. I'm here to serve others. And it's wonderful that for you, that servant mentality... Came from the adversity that your parents were facing at that time, which you know has turned into a wonderful thing for you. I mean, your brother, your relationship with your brother is very, very good, and he plays a significant role in in your life all mm. the time. Um, and it's just wonderful that you were able to observe that at the age of ten.
1: Do you you couldn't miss it, mm. um, but you know, it's 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 if interesting you could go on as well. The other way, yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things. In my my 20s, in my early 20s, I had like a really strong success driver. But when you're a young person in your late teens and early 20s and the front part of your brain hasn't finished developing, so you lack insight, you've got energy and you've got drive, you don't quite know why, but you just, you know, success. You want stuff. Um, you want attention, you want praise, you want whatever those things are, but you lack awareness of like why you're doing it. Uh and for me, I you know, I was my uh my wife, uh, whom I adore is has known me since the eighties, um, and she in my late twenties, she's like, You are just a dick. Um because uh, I was Lucy just so... tells
0: me that now in my 40s. Yeah, but, you know,
1: <laughs> you were just like, I just didn't even like you because I was... And I wasn't a likeable person. I was ambitious and I was, you know, I was after stuff. And yeah. and it was just crap. Um, and I wasn't a good human. And so... Uh, and at that stage, I got, I got sick. I got chronic fatigue and, and all that sort of stuff. And that was... Lots of people don't listen to what's going on around them. They don't listen to their body, they don't listen. they're not listening to people around them that they care about. They're just on this thing around this quest for stuff, like just... I'm
0: really glad you've said that, because even as I'm reflecting, you know, I, yeah, I would I, for me, you, you, you were lucky enough that you uncovered that in your 20s, late 20s. It took me a very long time. I was you know, still at 35, 34, searching for all of this and it was a recovery thing for me more than anything else. And then the light globe switched, you know, when, when Lucy and I found out we're having Leonardo, mm. it was like this, oh shit, you've got to grow up. And that for me was the insight that changed my life. It was a wonderful opportunity to go, you know what, I now have to be accountable, responsible and do have to be the authority for this little person. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna suck as a parent. What am I going to do? And Old was, parents think that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like you know, you we were really good at like I was really good at what I did, you know. Yeah. Like there was elements of good and the elements of bad. But you know, as a practitioner, I was great. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I have to learn this new skill, and it was this sense of responsibility, and service ship that really came through. And now, as you know, I love being a father. Mm. It's something I work very hard at. Um, I i'm never going to be amazing at it because it's just such a difficult job and you know you have got adult children almost now to the mm. point that you know griff is you know at 14 i've got lavender who's four and it's this incredible journey and i'm just so lucky that i have very close friends that can guide me mm. on you know where they've been so and i think that's probably the really wonderful lesson about You've got to learn from others mm. you know i wish i had someone that i could learn from in my late 30 in my early 30s but you're spot on you know i look back at how i failed and how i lost everything at 30 or 31 it's because i didn't listen to people
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and so it's wonderful listening to you because i can then reflect and i know that the listeners who are listening are probably now going light globe oh wow and i'm hoping that if one of our listeners out there is currently going through that transition Press pause and rewind back to the insight around making sure that you're listening to other people. Mm. Make sure that when you're in that grind and you're sitting there thinking that you have all the answers, that you actually don't have all the answers. In fact, there are other people around you that, that care about you that you need to go, hang on, pause. Let me just go and reflect on this and, and find some space to truly understand. I mean, if people just listen to that bit of advice, it'd save them a lot of pain mm. moving forward. Um, but you, what
1: I, the funny thing is, if you it, it's a, just a truism the whole time. If you find yourself in every situation believing that you're the smartest person in the room, whoa. You're in trouble. Big trouble. Yeah. And there's a voice inside your head that particularly when you're you know, late 20s, early 30s, right, that you're going, man, I you know, I'm, I'm rocking it. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, you need somebody in your life who's letting the air out of your tyres a little bit just to, yeah. because, and it's not about them letting the air out of the tyres, it's about you allowing, being vulnerable enough to let someone do that to you for your own good.
0: It's, and, e- it's even now though. I mean, you probably... Totally. Yeah, You know, yeah. You know, to me, even now, I, I, I'm thinking, wow... Where do I need to let my tires down go? Like, where, where do I need to readjust? You know, for me at the moment, it's my health. You know, mm-hmm. it's a big thing. I've been listening to a lot of people now and it's like, okay. And then the last year has been difficult because, you know, you get you start training again, you do your knee. For me, it was my, you know, seventh operation. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay. Then you get blood clots and you're like, okay, I'm trying really hard here. And then you get three herniated discs and mm-hmm. then you're like, Okay. I'm trying really hard here, and I can't get it. But you know what? Luck favours the persistent, as Jim Collins says. So you've got to keep working at it. But the I've thing got is-
1: six screws and two cages in my neck, and they said I would never lift above <laughs> my right. head. And so I did, uh, last Tuesday, I did 40 chin-ups for somebody who's not supposed to lift you above their f- head. You can yeah. do 40 chin-ups? I've been working on Unassisted? that. Unassisted? Oh, I've got a, a thin band, but it's like... Wow. You know, I'm- I can do None. Yeah, so I've been uh, that was that was that was you know part of that is is like uh, you know you can't do that it's like really <laughs> so are hard they're hard yeah it's taken four years to, to train to wow. do that so it's just it is persistence and it's a bit of this t- those two words and you and I've talked about this before two years two words that I have in my head all the time is refuse and decide mm-hmm. so you know you can't you won't be able to do that hmm I refuse to accept that. <laughs> I decide I to do so something it's, different.
0: That's right. No, I love it. And I love... One of the greatest things about you that I've always really enjoyed is no matter how distant we might be, when we come together, there's always something that you, that you say that I just go, oh, I really need to write that down. And then I go use it. Mm. And I practice it because mm. I find that by practicing something that someone gives you, it's, it's one thing being given a gift of something, right? But then you've got to use it. You've got to actually... Build the muscle, right? Your brain's a muscle. and you got to build it. Yeah. So, you know, refuse to decide. I mean, that kind of insight for people is going to be phenomenal. Um, business is not all flowers and rainbows. We know mm. that, right? And as you know, I, I tend to like to talk a lot about failure and, and the experiences around it because I think people can learn a lot. Uh, you know, success and failure leaves clues. Mm. Um, but what failure experience do you think has set you up for the success that you've experienced in your life, both professionally and personally?
1: Um, We all have different failures. I don't see... um, I see failing is... Having failures is really what I call school fees. You know, it's just like, what'd you learn? Like, it's not really a failure, it's just a very unpleasant you know, a very unpleasant school fee. Sometimes school fees are really expensive. Um, you know, the, the things that, we both know about. Those. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> the things that, you know, I, I'd had that, um, I haven't really had things that are, uh, I, for me, a failure is, is like catastrophic. You can't recover from. So I haven't had anything catastrophic that I can't recover from. Um, so I've just had lots of school fees. Um, you know, I, I um, as like you, somebody who really prizes and values being a dad, um, having a, a, a failed marriage um, for me with two kids was devastating. That was devastating for me. I just That was a failure where I was like, I didn't even contemplate that that was going to be a failure for me. But it was. Um, and I'm really good at it now. I say, you know... It's a, a, somewhat, I say it and people think I'm joking when I say, oh, I had a practice wife, wasn't that good at that. Um, but I'm really good at it now and I work hard at it. And you do work hard. Um, and, I, and, I, and I love it because I realise you know, you can't just take that for granted. It just doesn't work where you're going. Life works out the way you plan it. So um, that, you know, that was, but the, you know the one where it was a failure but it wasn't mine? Was is the most interesting that had the I think in my leadership career will be something I point out that was not my failure, but it was my response to it that I'm really proud of and will always be proud of. And that was I when I, I was betrayed by somebody I trusted I was, who I was stole money. This,
0: yeah, you and I were speaking about this. Yeah, if, share it because if you want whichever part you can. Um, I mean that, that that took that really upset you. Um, because you trusted someone, and yeah, you were betrayed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. and uh, I, uh, you know, and it was I advocated very for them. It was them. very it was public, very too. public. Yeah, yeah, and I was, you know, there were. And I was on the news, mm. being chased by cameras for for, a, for answers, where it looked like I had done something, um, and I decided that um, I was just going to be flat out upfront about it. Um, you know, unshakingly so. So you have PR people saying, oh, you should say this or say it that way. And I was like, I'm just not going to do that. Um,
0: I think you handled that incredibly well.
1: Yeah, I, well, I did. And Like and, as an
0: observer outside. Yeah, I um, did. And I'm really proud of mm-hmm. that
1: because uh, I didn't... I was like, you know, if I was watching or reading this, my bullshit detector would be on high alert and so I'm going to look out for any of it. So I just spoke really plainly. I remember sitting one weekend on LinkedIn when the news article came out and people who didn't know anything kept making comments. And I responded to every single one of them within 60 seconds of um, of, of doing it to just stop it cascading into yeah. nonsense. And it turned out really well. The, the test of character when somebody who, you know, was the godfather of one of his kids, it's just, you first hear about it and you go, hang on, are you sure that that's what's happening? And they're like, here's the evidence. And it's like, to unflinchingly go, okay, we're just gonna call the cops and we're gonna deal with, yeah, but don't you wanna find out what's gonna happen? It's like, no, n- that's the right thing to do right yeah. now. Let's do, let's do the right thing every moment and believe that it'll turn out okay. And guess what? It turned out okay because we did the that right lasts, thing at every moment. That lasted
0: a long time. Yeah, that was how many years was it for uh, from a
1: Yeah, he was doing it for three or four years, and but then no, but the, the whole process and then the, process, the trial was a couple of years. Oh, yeah. a year or it, something it was like a while, that.
0: But but the emotional strain on him too. Yes, and then look, we I think there's a lot of people that can sympathise with the betrayal of someone close to them. Sure. Uh, in business, but and but not a lot of people recover from it because yeah. sometimes that pain, that anguish, that frustration it can really cut you really deep with particularly someone like you um, who who values that human connection mm. and you know I've been through it and and it's took me a while it took me I got really ill over it because mm. I couldn't understand why someone close to me would do that to mm. me. it's you sit there and go well, it's just greed you know and in your case it was it was it was greed as well it was finances it was money and you know, I think it was much deeper too. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, like it was,
1: yeah, it was. It was there were was so many things that were bad with it. But the thing for me that has been a really powerful and it, is, it, it can eat you up if you let, like literally eat you from the inside if you let it. Uh, and it was. Oh. Uh, but it's discovering then the thing that makes me successful is the thing that's my kryptonite then. It's like, mm-hmm. I care about people and I care about it a lot. So then if some a person lets you down or disappoints you, you care about that. So knowing that it's your kryptonite, you gotta go, how do I accept that I didn't control that or see it or have responsibility for it. It's in my DNA to take responsibility for everything, right? But learning, then this is a huge lesson I got from that is I wasn't responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be responsible for that. Um, and so it was like, ah, oh, man, I've just had a life lesson scrubbed on me with a wire brush, which I didn't appreciate. But probably good I you know it's there's a part of you that goes it was funny I went to I went to see a counsellor about it which is I'd promised everybody that I would because I was doing all of the things which particularly men do this thing where you compartmentalize you go I'll park that over there and I'll do all the things and then at some point I'll have some kind of I'll be angry with people or I'll be snarling and you do whatever you do that thing and so I started doing that thing Uh, and then I went and saw somebody and The first two meetings, I told them, you know, um, this is what was going on. It was a trauma response and blah, blah, blah. She's like, okay, can I have some air next week? And I thought, oh, yep. And she said, you you, you so want to control the outcome of everything that it's, and that, that you couldn't control this. It's going to kill you. So you just have to accept, and it's weird, that you have to accept that you don't control everything in the world. And it's one of those things where you're like,
0: do I do, don't,
1: do I really do, I, do, I do that? Do I do that? <laughs> I do do that, don't I? Oh man, I've got ai thought I was, I thought I was good at listening. I thought I was good at being aware. And every now and then somebody comes along, lets some air out of your tires, and even then it surprises you, you're like, Oh, I thought I was good at that She's um, all right well isn't it cool letting, letting it when you go get that like yeah it's, I, a, I, it's I, a relief
0: even just even just watching you um, you know some people are going to listen to this on audio uh, as others may go to the YouTube channel and watch the video uh, right then your your expression yeah. it was it was like it was like you were reliving that moment when you said that and it's a really beautiful thing to see because I kind of go ah oh, yeah even just listening to you. I do that, and I really shouldn't do that. And yeah. I should improve on that. And um, I want to ask you another question. Um, I don't want to just bump away from that. There's mm. something I want to ask you. Um, when you're overwhelmed, and when you're unfocused, which for you is the unfocused part is quite rare. That's pretty rare. Um, what do you do to realign?
1: What do I do to realign when I'm out of? Uh, it's. It does happen. that it, it happens frequently, but I don't let it get out of, get out of whack. Um, there's lots of techniques. One of the small ones is to shake my hands. It's weird, right? But what is happening when you're becoming unfocused yeah. and you're getting overwhelmed is your body starts going into a fight-or-flight response. So the blood starts accumulating around your heart and your lungs because it's ready to f- fight or flight. So shaking your hands starts to draw the blood out And if you start doing it, and if you're listening, what in the next 60 seconds, start shaking your hands and feel what happens. And you start feeling the blood coming out of your chest and coming into your hands and moving to your feet. And do you notice how you don't feel- Yeah, you're right. You're not feeling as stressed and as anxious. I didn't even know that. So just shake your hands. And it's amazing physiologically, it starts taking the blood away from your fight flight response. And your brain starts to not become so overwhelmed because it's now not obsessed with fighting or running away. It's starting to go, it's starting to create space for other things to come back into it. And what it allows you to do is to focus again. So So I will-
0: when I see you shake your hands...
1: Do it all the time. You'll see me doing it all the time. <laughs> I'll
0: start getting nervous because it means I'm pissing you off. No, no, no.
1: It's, it's not that. Um, <laughs> no, but it is. am a. You don't want to do that, though, because I, <laughs> no. I can focus no. a lot of attention on no, that. No, I would not um, want to.
0: That's actually... Where did you learn that? Or was uh, it just something you picked up by reading and understanding how that worked? Because that really does work. And it's quite instant. It's not... Yeah, have to do it for sixty seconds. If you no, do it, it's, it's
1: almost straight away, isn't it? Yeah, like you, you can feel, feel it, and
0: you can feel it in your feet. Yep, and your like feet that start was the tingling. First bit.
1: Yep. Right. It's crazy, so, right? Yeah. So it's that, a
0: brilliant technique. It's amazing.
1: David Griggs taught me that doing a, a public speaking um, program that he did called Beyond Words. Right. And one of the things he did was before you speak, before you go on stage, shake your hands, and move the the blood out, and, and I did that at this public speaking thing, and I was like, "Man, that is the soup. That is super good. It works." So that's what I do.
0: Yeah, when you said shake hands, I was just like, "Where's he going with this?" And then that, that the, again, I love it. Okay, so that's how you you deal with say being overwhelmed, right? I'm, I'm certainly not going to push on the unfocused thing because you are incredibly focused. As but I don't.
1: I, when when things under pressure. There's lots of people. I've been blessed. I don't know where it came from, um, but I have it. Um, the more stressed other people become, the calmer I become. Mm. Uh, I'm able That's to hold awesome. a lot of things in my head at the same time and I can see patterns in doing it. So, um, But the downside of that is then when you're alone and you're unpacking, you do this,
0: God, ah,
1: fuck, what's wrong with me thing. You just do... So you've got to just find a way that when you're doing that shake your hands and, and just sort of like get away from that because it's not going to help you. You start asking yourself bad questions. What's wrong with me? What is a pretty bad question?
0: <laughs> it's funny I was seeing we're all so vulnerable on this show right now. I uh, I came home last night and I, I, had, I had two board meetings at the chair, one board meeting from three o'clock to seven and then straight into another one the public holiday, so mm. got moved. And um I didn't get home till 9.30 And we filmed three podcasts yesterday too. And I combined. And I came home and I said to Luch, I said, Luch, I don't feel great. She's like, "What?" and it was that whole breaking down the whole day because I'd listened to all these amazing people and their stories and Capturing it and then trying to bring the focus in for the for the board meetings and back to back. So it's like six, seven hours marathon work trying to just get through your head and dealing with stakeholders. And it's those questions. And for me, I just go and talk to Luge. Mm-hmm. I just say, okay, I just need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. you know, and she knew. She patted my head mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, I'm just gonna listen to you. And I'm like, I don't want to ask myself these bad questions because there isn't anything wrong. I know this is not right, the way I'm thinking. And it's really interesting that when you said that, I thought, you know, wow. We so all have different coping mechanisms, yeah. and it's important to have them. That they are, and, and I guess that's why I'm happy to share what I went through last night, because a lot of people never see that vulnerability in me. They, they, they always, and the same with you. You know, we, We've got to do our jobs, and, and we've got to be very compelling and very direct. And, and we also have to, you know, we, you and I come from a, a very similar school of, focus right like discipline and you know for me i'm still learning the way of the jedi right like mm. you kind of are the you're kind of yoda and i'm still kind of down here trying to find my way but what i what i love is that we all encounter the same challenges it's just how we handle those challenges it's your idea of refuse and decide mm. right and how we cope with it so that was really good um seeing we're on the path of giving value to everybody that's listening um which book or books do you think have greatly influenced your life?
1: That have greatly influenced my life? Um, you'd like to think they, they... When I was reflecting on this question, I was like, mine are pretty embarrassingly thin. Um, but early on, one, as a, as a young person was Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. It's an amazing, had an amazing effect on me. And then when you think of early in the podcast, and you think about the story I told about my brother, and then you read Of Mice and Men, you go, oh, it's. But uh, that was for me. Uh, I've read millions of, you know, all of the- Uh,
0: You're a reader. Yeah,
1: so I've read all of the, um, you know, Covey and Collins and all of those great books and um, all of those. But interestingly, the next one that I would mention is another embarrassingly thin one called Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah. Um, Super simple, but it's because both of those books are easy to read. And, you know, the old... I didn't have time to tell you a short story, so I gave you a long one. Mm-hmm. The brilliance of both of them is they are short and they're a mirror. Yeah. And you figure it out. Good um,
0: My Cheese is also a very fav- fav- favourite book of mine. Yeah. It's, because it's short. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. And, and, you can you, and you get through it. And you get through
1: it. Things like uh, Kenneth Blanchard's stuff mm-hmm. where he writes short... The one Minute Manager. Yeah, and the, and the, monkey, the mm-hmm. monkey meets a One Minute Manager or books like Fish... um they they are they are uh, simple they're not complex i i've read i've i've done i've been fortunate to go to harvard i've been fortunate to go to stanford i've i've you know seen read lots and lots of really clever management stuff but the the answer to your question the ones that most affected me are the simple ones like that
0: that's amazing and and it's you know for those of you who don't obviously know you well yes you have you have invested a great deal in your P D, you have been to Stanford, you have been to uh, to Harvard and I've picked your brain every time you come back yeah. <laughs> because it's like I'm gonna get there one day. Yeah. Um, and look, we're we, we're almost at the end. Um, only because we've got time restrictions, we're mm. busy lives. Um, if you do you have a business hero? Yeah, I've
1: got I've got several. Yeah. Uh Who and why? Uh
0: or who, who, who's someone that you really look up to? Right now?
1: Yeah. Right now, um, uh, Justin Dry, who I work mm-hmm. with at Vino Mofo, is one of the uh, cleverest, most resilient, most positive people I've ever met. Uh, he. You've said that before. Yeah. yeah. I just uh, have much respect for Justin and the way he goes about things and, you know... He, he, alongside Andre, created Vino Mofo and had a vision for Vino Mofo from scratch. Yeah, it's really and, interesting
0: you, you mentioned Justin. Uh, Andre was on the show, and Andre also strongly suggested that, you know, Justin has been instrumental in everything. Yeah. So it's really interesting that the two of you who've worked with someone, yeah. um, you know, maybe Justin's going to be on the show next. Apparently he's back living here again.
1: He's at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. But he's he's amazing. He's one of my business heroes. The other one is a guy that not, I guess, generationally behind me, lots of people don't know, but a guy called Peter Ritchie. Okay. Peter Ritchie was the guy that I met in my 20s when I was in Sydney. Um, He was the first non-American CEO of McDonald's. He... Uh, ran McDonald's in Australia, and everybody's like, right, oh, McDonald's." This guy
0: but that eventually, got on well. This, no, yeah, that was no. you're thinking of, okay. of Charlie Bell. Charlie
1: Bell. Okay. Uh, no, Pete was before Charlie. Oh, right. Uh, Pete was before Bob Mansfield. Pete Pete was the first guy. Right. Okay, so wow. there only there were only four stores at that stage, and and he was the accountant, and the the, the American wow. CEO had a a blue, um, and and Pete gave a speech when I was in Sydney um, and was talking about, you know, being successful and that sort of stuff. And he did the, oh, if you ever want to ask me a question, just ask me. And so I saw Pete last year. I've been asking Pete questions since 1993.
0: <laughs> uh, you're a big serial pest of questions. Yeah, I, you I love... love you love asking questions. Yeah, right? you a, I love you him. You spend and a long time working out your questions. You ask very good questions.
1: Yeah, I, so I said that at you? the beginning. Oh, I asked Pete um, questions all the time, but at at the time, <laughs> at the time, because this, the, the context is, uh, remember that patch where I said I was in my twenties and I didn't mm-hmm. quite get everything. Yeah. I said, "When did you get your first Mercedes?" <laughs> 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 and how did you get it? You do and love so, Mercedes, yeah. So that was a pretty stupid question, but he <laughs> allowed my questions got better, and he was he was a very good. Did he answer the question? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you the answer because that was between us.
0: (laughs) So, Paul, um, one final question. What habit or belief or behaviour has improved your life the most? Something that would help someone else?
1: Behaviour that... um that I can add value, believing that I can and do add value. Uh, Now that sounds like a bit, but genuinely in uh, the insecurity for the first 50 years of my life that like I had to keep proving that I was valuable, uh, I've reached a point in my career, in my life where I'm like, actually, it's okay to, Think that I'm good at stuff, and it's okay to think that I add value. Um, and now it's my job to understand what that value is, so I can, so I can teach it and and proliferate it. Um, but I wasn't didn't really give myself enough credit for that for a very very long time. And in doing so, I wasn't uh, creating legacy. So if I, when I think about again another super proud moment of mine in when I had decided and spoke to David about leaving SYC, I said to him, we're going to do the best leave ever. Like, this is going to be like, I'm going to win the Norm Smith, we're going to win the grand final, I'm going to get the Norm Smith medal, and then I'm going to go, and I'm finished. And you're going to have somebody really awesome take over from me. Um, and it just happened like that. You know, of course it did. It was like, well, it, was all, it was all an accident, right? It just happened like that. But it was because... By that stage, I knew, like, I knew I had added as much value to that as I was going to, and it was pretty good, but it was time for somebody else to now take it. If I still had this mindset of having to constantly prove myself, I would still be there trying to prove myself um, and doing it, but I think SYC will be better for me giving it over to somebody else and I'll go do something else and as well. Not and we certainly person you
0: it. gave it to has an abundance of energy. He's pretty good. Right? He's, he's pretty good. And he's had a great mentor in you as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Paul, thank you for, for coming in here today, sharing phenomenal insights. I mean, there's so much there that I want to recap, yeah. but I'm just going to transcribe the podcast. Right. Well,
1: you've been very generous. And and I think you. you're very kind.
0: Uh, look, not only do I value your time, because I know how busy you are, I value our friendship more than anything else. And it's because of the wisdom that you've shown today and the care that you have for other people. And, you know, I'm just very privileged and lucky that I get to see that. Uh, not as often as I'd want to, but you are committed to our family like I am. And after this, we are going to check diaries and get this... We've been just anyone listening we've actually been trying i think for 2 years now to get our families back to have lunch together but obviously covid hasn't hasn't helped
1: i'm i'm the i'm for those listening as well i'm a bad friend not not because i'm a bad friend that i but like i'm hopeless at returning calls i'm actually, you're not ho- i'm hopeless at um, making times that are within a reasonable amount of time like it takes forever because i i feel every minute with what I'm doing so I'm the bad friend that says okay so how about the 30th of November and people are like yeah, really that,
0: <laughs> that I'm not going to deny yeah. when I would you say let's do this date and then rips out these dates that are like miles away and you're like okay I'm I'm booked for a month but three months yeah sure say yes <laughs> um but yeah look I... mate thank you so much my pleasure thank um, you it has been an honor and a privilege to have you here today And as always, you you are serving just the way that I love to see you serve. So thank you, Paul.
1: Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.
0: Are you ready to start taking action on your business? Would you like to spend more time with your family? Then call 1300 643 229 and start building momentum right now. I know you're busy. In fact, you are so busy that you don't have time to work on your business or yourself. Often tossing and turning at night, worrying about the how-tos and the cash flow. How on earth can you possibly get off the hamster wheel so that you can take a helicopter view to see where you'll be in 90 days, one year or three years from now. In this program, I will take you from sleepless nights to blissful sleep. You'll have more time with your family and you will have the clarity and direction so you can grow and flourish. Call 1300 643 229 now and start building momentum.